Let's take our Bibles at this time and turn to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to read the first 16 verses, which are a parable of the kingdom of heaven. Hear the word of God through the mediator, the word himself, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And About the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the first to the last. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. They likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first to last, for many are called, but few chosen. Thus far we read this parable, this will be our text, this parable of the laborers. <clears throat> As we've been seeing... <clears throat> In these chapters, 18, 19, and 20, really, Jesus is teaching discipleship, what it is to be a follower of Jesus, and he's teaching, as he always does, his wisdom, his way of discipleship. Basically, he is teaching the way of following him by grace and through faith, and a life that is living for the Savior and with the Savior, following him wherever he leads. Jesus has a word in the context of these, these instructions on discipleship for marriage and its permanency, for the single life, for children, for parents, for rich and for poor. Jesus in his in instruction has been reminding us of how costly it is to be a disciple. You have to leave all, leave father and mothers and wives and so on, he says, meaning everything that's of worth, to follow him. But he reminds us that the costly or true discipleship is, is worth it because he has rewards that he gives that are incommensurate, not even in proportion 
uh, as we might think in the, in the least, to uh, the, the, the trials that we suffer for following him. So Jesus has ended in chapter 19 with a word about the discipleship that he is instructing in and that it's all of grace when he speaks of the fact that many who are first will be last and the last first. Now that aphorism of Jesus, that wise, pithy saying of Jesus, all of his sayings are wise, but there's certain sayings that stand out. That aphorism, that wise saying, many who are first will be last and the last first, is now being illustrated by this parable. In fact, it might have done well for the translators not to make the break at chapter 20 as they do. The breaks in the chapters in the Greek are not inspired. But they could well have included at least this parable with chapter 19 or included also verse 30 of chapter 19 with chapter 20, whatever, they go together. For you'll notice after the parable, Jesus says the same thing in reverse order that he said in chapter 19, verse 30, in verse 16 now of chapter 20. So the last will be first and the first last. And then he adds, for many are called, but few are chosen. And that's similar to what he has been saying with the last being first and the first last. So this is basically the message of this parable now, illustrating what Jesus has been saying when he's speaking of discipleship, its costs and its rewards. Many are first, the last will be first and the first will be last. Many are called, but few are chosen. Now this sermon, this parable of a sermon, this sermon which is parabolic, that is, Jesus' sermon and parable is a good sermon, to be sure, but hard to hear. Did you notice that when you heard this parable again? Think of what the disciples must have thought when they were hearing this parable. It was a hard thing to take. In fact, all sermons are as one has commented, and I want to repeat this because it's, it's worth pondering. There's two kinds of sermons that are hard to hear. Two kinds of sermons. Good sermons and bad sermons. Bad sermons are hard to hear, and you know why. They're too long. They're, they miss the point. They're off point. There's no theology in them. There's no practical instruction in them, or they're just plain wrong. Good ones, however, are also hard to hear if they're sermons. In fact, they bring points to our mind that challenge the way we're thinking. Or good sermons are those that challenge the way we're doing things. In our marriage, in our single life, at work, they challenge attitudes and everything. They kind of hit us between the eyes. And in fact, there's a meeting here of Jesus and us in his hard sermons and sayings, that is a meeting of moment in that poignant sense of the word. This, there's a meeting of significance when Jesus comes with his good sermons that are also hard sermons. This one is hard, this parable sermon, because it just doesn't seem to meet 
the sense of justice that we all are feeling, that we all know. The one who works in the heat of the day, all the day, 12 hours, receives a denarius. The ones who work at the end of the day, they're just called for an hour of labor. They receive the same. What's up? Doesn't seem to fit our sense of justice and of right. Well, beloved, we need to hear this good sermon of Jesus, which is a hard sermon. And may God bless your servant with a good sermon. That's a hard sermon, but received by faith. The parable of the laborers, the truth of grace. Just two points, and it won't be so long-winded tonight. After all, it's got to be a good sermon, right? The parable and the basic explanation of it in the kingdom light. Just some basic things. This is a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like. That's what a parable is. It's an earthly story he's going to tell with a heavenly meaning. The kingdom of heaven is like something that you all well know. There's the parable set forth. A landowner goes out early in the morning. He hires laborers for the vineyard. And the first ones who are approached by the landowner early in the morning, and we conclude it's about 6 o'clock in the morning, they agree to a price. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers, they had haggled a bit, apparently, over the wage that they would receive. The landowner agrees to pay them a denarius. That's the daily wage, we're told, of the day. We don't know. Today, it may be, maybe be $100, $500, $1,000, whatever you guys are making. Denarius a day. And then he sent them into his vineyard. Well, this, this, this landowner uh, apparently needs a lot of workers. It's a busy time of year, perhaps the harvest. That's what most commentators surmise. This is the harvest time. They want to get in the harvest of grapes. It's a vineyard before the rains come and destroy the crop. So he goes out about the third hour, and that would be about 9 o'clock. First hour, early in the morning, 6 o'clock. This is how they're judging time. Third hour, 9 o'clock, sees others in the marketplace where they would go if they needed a job, I suppose. And they're standing without any work, and he says to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I'll give you whatever is right. And he doesn't, they don't haggle with him over, a, over the wage, and, and he doesn't say anything except, I'll give you what is right. And so they went into the vineyard. They started working. Then he goes out again, the sixth hour and the ninth hour, and he, he sees others in the marketplace. They're standing, they're standing there, and he, he does the same with them. Come to my vineyard, work, and I'll give you what is right. And then there's others who are there, and they're at the 11th hour, and he's going there at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. This would be equivalent to one hour left of, of daylight, maybe, or of work anyway. And they're standing idle, and he asks them, why have you been standing here all day? And they said to him, well, no one's hired us. Maybe they didn't have the ambition. Something, we'll see. And he says to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So the first, they agree to a wage, and he pronounces it a denarius. The others, they're just promised that he'll give them whatever is right. What happens, of course, is, and I'm just repeating this story. It's a story. We're trying to tell the story and fill in some of the details, and your children follow along. 
The evening came. And according to the Old Testament law, that's when you paid people. Maybe learn something from this, those who hire other people. You pay them every day. Don't have to, but that's what they did. It was law. You pay the wages. You pay them every day. And so the owner goes, and he uses his steward here, but apparently the owner is there, at least for part of the meeting and the wage giving, and he calls the laborers and, get to, and um, tells the steward that it would be the caretaker in charge of the labor on behalf of the owner, and says, now, you give them their wages, but you begin with the last ones, the ones who were called at 5 o'clock, worked an hour, then you go down and you give the wages to the first. And it's going to be a public giving of wages. They're all going to be able to see this. And so they're going to all learn a lesson here somehow. And when those who came who were hired for one hour's labor, they were paid a denarius, a whole day's wage. Go figure. But when the first came, and they went down the line, of course, they supposed that they'd receive more. They were probably talking about themselves when he was giving the first one, uh, the, the last ones, and then the ones hired in the middle of the day, a denarius, probably gave them all the same, and then came to them, well, we're going to get more. We're going to get more. It's got to be. This is, this is great. Looking forward to this. But when they received each a denarius, they, when they received it, began complaining. They complained against the owner. They said, these last men, they only worked an hour. We, we've worked 12 hours and we've borne the heat of the day, as the saying goes. And we, we deserve more. But then the landowner takes them aside, as it were. He says, and there's a representative. He says, friend one representative of the union of these first workers, I suppose. First union. Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? We haggled about it. We are the ones who talked to each other about it, and we all agreed on that. We shook our hands on this. You agreed. So now you take what is yours. That belongs to you now. That's what I agreed to pay you. And you go your way. And... I wish to give to this last man the same as you, and don't I have the right to that? Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? The landowner and his owner is saying, this is for me to decide, not you. And then he says, where's your eye evil? Because I'm good. And the idea here is that these people were envying the ones who didn't work so hard or so long as they, and received the same pay. They had an evil eye, something that Saul had against David. He had an evil eye because David had slain his ten thousands and the people were going after him. He was envious of that glory that David was getting. And so they were envious of this. It wasn't just that they didn't receive more, but they received the same. It wasn't fair, they were saying. And they were missing, of course, the goodness of this man, this landowner, the generosity of this man. And they weren't rejoicing that there was such a generous man. They were just looking about themselves. And so then the lesson, the last will be first, the first last, 
Many are called, but few are chosen. Now, a basic explanation of this. This is uh, figuring to, to make this good sermon. Basic explanation of this. And I was reminded in dealing with parables, the principle of parable interpretation, make sure the main thing is the main thing. Jesus is telling us what the main thing is. It's about first, the last being first and the first last and so on. Many called and few chosen. Keep that in mind. You see, parables, they're meant to speak of eternal truths, but all the details there are not clearly representative of spiritual things. They serve to tell the story, to advance it. They're like clothing on the body of the thing that's being taught, but they're not the body, the message of the thing, so we have to be careful. So what can we say, basically? What's this landowner, vineyard, laborer's wages thing all about? Well, in the first place, it's true that it's clear that the landowner is representative of God. He's in charge. And this is, after all, about the kingdom of heaven. Well, a landowner in the kingdom of heaven is representing here God, who has a right to do with whatever he wants, who hires laborers, and so on. Some have said that the steward, verse 8, who is called to distribute the wages, that represents Jesus. Not going to go that far even. Doesn't say that. But it would fit, of course, in the economy of salvation, the working of it out. Jesus, on the behalf of the Father, comes and he's the judge. He's the judge and he rewards people at the end of time and always according as God his Father so wills. But again, I'm not going to say that. Let's just say that God is in charge here and he does what he will with whom he will. Now, the vineyard, this is a common way of describing the kingdom of heaven in its outward appearance. The church of Jesus Christ, the Israel of old, for example. You have in Psalm 80, verse 8, this picture of Israel as the vineyard people. So, you have brought a vine out of Egypt, says the psalmist. You brought a vine, God, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You've cast out the nations and planted it. You planted the people of God. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root, and it filled the land. And so Isaiah chapter 5 is speaking of the same thing. Yet let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard. On a very fruitful hill, he dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes and so on. People of God, in their outward manifestation, are this thing planted of God and seen in the world, bearing fruit, and to the praise of God they should be. John 15, Jesus himself likens the kingdom of heaven to a vine. He's the vine, and the people are his branches and so on. So there's that metaphor, that way of speaking of things. Well, then there's the marketplace. I think that's significant because 
When Jesus is teaching here in this parable that many are called but few are chosen, and he's speaking of the last, first, the first, last, he's speaking of those people who are called out of some place, and that's the marketplace where they're all sitting there idle until they're given work to do. And I think that the marketplace represents the place where uh, people are called from. They're called into the vineyard, outwardly by the word of God to be workers there, from the marketplace or the world, uh, the place where people get called, and then they're called from that world. So it represents the world. And those who are standing there idle, as we shall see, loitering about with nothing to do, represent the world in her fallenness. The laborers, who are they? Well, I would say these are all who work in the kingdom, Old Testament prophets and priests and kings, apostles of Jesus Christ, ministers, elders, deacons, but really all of us. For in the kingdom, and remember this is what this parable is about, the kingdom of heaven, we all are called to work. No one is idle there, lazy there. We are all called to do significant work. doesn't matter where it is, what it is, but God has appointed us to be workers in his kingdom. So this is what Jesus has alluded to in chapter 19, verses 28 and 29, when he speaks of the reward given to the 12, or to the apostles, to sit on 12 thrones judging the tribes of Israel, then a reward to everyone who's left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, wife, or children, or lands for my name's sake. So there are special laborers, but all of us are called to labor in the kingdom of heaven. It's sovereign grace. If you're not working and working for the kingdom of heaven and in the kingdom of heaven, this is by way of application, good sermon, right? Good sermon. That is a good word from heaven. If you're not working with a goal for the kingdom of heaven in the church of Christ in your life, question what you're doing. Self-examination as you prepare to partake of the sacred sacrament of Jesus himself in that special way. Ask yourself, are you working for Jesus because you value his kingdom and you understand your place in it? Or are you just working for yourself? Nothing here uh, of significance for you and you're just glad to be on your own to do your own thing. We work in the kingdom. More on that presently. Now, just who these laborers are is not so easy to discern. Many have drawn different conclusions about who these laborers are from the fact that they're called at different times. There's a lot of different opinions about this. Uh, different times are, well, the 6 a.m., that's the early in the morning. There's the third hour, 9 o'clock. Then there's the sixth hour, noon. Then there's the ninth hour, 3 o'clock p.m. And then there's the eleventh hour, and that's 5 o'clock. These times are said to represent different people. Now here, I'll just give you an example of what certain people think these times and these laborers at these times represent. The early in the morning people, some say, are Adam and Eve. They're saying that the kingdom of heaven is like this thing, that 
uh, is the kingdom of heaven history long? Adam and Eve, they were called into the kingdom. And then their progeny, Abel and Enoch and Noah, the sons, the true sons, not of the serpent, but of God. And so the pre-Diluvian saints are called to be the ones called at the first hour. Okay. And don't think of this so far-fetched if you've never thought of it. Just, just think about it for a little in light of the Scripture. The third hour, people are said to be the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They're called a little later. And then the sixth hour, people are Moses and Israel and the, the Jews as a people. The ninth hour would refer maybe to the apostles themselves and those whom they called and were uh, believers of the apostles' word at first, the Jews. Then the 11th hour people would be the Gentiles, called at 5 p.m., and they are also admitted into the kingdom, as were all the ones before. Others think that these times in this parable represent individuals who are called at different times of their life. And so those who are called early in life and who respond to the call are, are the ones who work at the first and they're, they're called early, and they receive this, this wage, as it were. Those who are called later are represented by the ones called the third hour, and the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. And others called at the eleventh hour are maybe the thief on the cross. Those who are called just when they're about to die. Now, others think, others think and I, I tend to agree with this, that these people who are called here, laborers, represent those called at different times in the new dispensation, since Jesus has come. And so the ones called in the beginning uh, may be John the Baptist and the apostles, then the ones the Jews called at the first, and then the Gentiles, all the way up until the judgment day. It represents a long list of laborers who are called in this dispensation when the kingdom of heaven is at hand and has come as the book of Matthew is all about. It's speaking of, from here on in, what's happening? Apostles and all called into the vineyard after them and through their ministry. Now, it's important also, and then I'll get into my second point here, my final point, to consider this payment. The first, the, the laborers at the first... Uh, receive a denarius, and the others at the third and the sixth and the ninth and the eleventh hours, they receive the same thing, a denarius, a day's wage. But now we have to be careful here and not press the point. Remember, parables are here to make a main point and not all the points we'd like it to make to fit into our own creative imaginations. The denarius and the wage that it represents does not represent just how people are rewarded in the kingdom. We're not given wages in the kingdom of heaven, for then grace would be no more grace, and there would be a flat contradiction between what Jesus teaches here and what the apostle teaches in Romans 4, verse 4. For Romans 4, verse 4 says, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. And what he's doing there is speaking of the, the doctrine of justification by faith alone through, or by grace alone, through faith alone. And he's saying, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. 
He's contrasting the way of Abraham and faith and of David and his believing and of the way of the kingdom of heaven, salvation by grace alone through faith alone, with working for it, earning a wage. In fact, it cannot be the case because Jesus in another place says, when you receive something, you say, we've done all that we can and we're just unprofitable servants. We don't deserve anything. It's not about wages, except if you want to consider the wages of sin, and that is death. And so there's some basic explanations of what's going on here. But here, some main things. And I'll leave you with this. This all is about the last being first, the first being last, many being called outwardly, many working in the kingdom, few being chosen. That is, true people of God. Many hear the gospel Many in the church, many in churches throughout the... Many religious people, but few are really God's people. This is a lesson of grace. It's a lesson of the fact that unless there's free favor given from heaven to men, from the universe owner, God... To you men and women and children, unless it is given to enter the kingdom, to labor in the kingdom, to be blessed in the kingdom, there's no blessing whatsoever. In fact, it's not the wages that are on the front here, but the fact that it's not according to justice strict justice, what we would consider to be fair. It's all Jesus teaching that it's not about your working and your willing and your doing and your producing and compared to other people how much you produce and how much you think you earn and how much you sweat and how much you've suffered for the kingdom of heaven's sake even. It all has to do with the owner who does what's right with what he has and whom he hires, as it were. And he gives, not according to what one earns, humanly speaking, but simply according to his good pleasure. That's the lesson here. The last will be first, and the first will be last. There's a lesson on teaching. It's not, a, it's not about your measurement. Not about who you think is worthy. It's not about the ones who labored long like the apostles. Maybe they were thinking, oh, yeah, they were thinking that, weren't they? Later on in Matthew 20, the mother of James and John, and some would say, bless her heart. She loves her children. She comes and says to Jesus, please grant a place of great honor to my Johnny and my Jimmy the mother. And Jesus says, it's not mine to give, and, and so on. But see, they're not getting it. The apostles weren't getting it. They're, they're laboring first if we want to take these laborers in the vineyard who are first here. Speaking of those who are like apostles, first in time, 
in the New Dispensation. It's not about that. It's about God's prerogative with sinners. I find that there's an interesting picture here of the world in that marketplace from which all those laborers are called. All the laborers are called from the marketplace. And all the laborers until Jesus gets there, or excuse me, till the landowner gets there, are standing idle in the marketplace, twiddling their thumbs, you might say, nothing to do. This is just like the world, isn't it? You realize there's nothing to do except you have God to do it for. There's nothing of significance to do except you have a significant God who's really God. The result of the fall is what the wise man says in Ecclesiastes, all is vanity. Everything you see, including this most important activity of persons, work. There's no work to do. There's no goal to reach for except the goals of vanity. I want to succeed for myself. I want to establish my kingdom. I want to get some stuff. I want to work, maybe till I drop, but earn a large retirement so I can have a lot of time on my own and cruise the world, whatever I'm going to do. That's how people live, you know, most people. I mean, literally. They live from paycheck to paycheck, and for Friday night, I've been there. Friday night, quitting time. Before that, happy hour. And then the rest of the weekend, which is Sunday is included there, is for themselves. And then they go back with the pathetic human race to work again. The marketplace, all are idle there, all is vanity there. They work for no real reason except themselves. That's the world. And that's why this is an amazing picture of grace here. The call from the marketplace, the marketplace of workers, the marketplace of ideas, as some have said, is the marketplace, where ideas are exchanged and philosophies. The marketplace, including the universities, which is producing a bunch of self-righteous, what's-in-it-for-me people. That's the next generations coming by. It's hard to look. It's hard to look. And all they're doing is producing protesters who don't even know what they're protesting about. And they misidentify all the problems. They have no solutions. And the greatest courses they can take are underwater basket weaving or how to dance as lesbians in this world or something strange. Grace, grace. And then, of course, we're called exactly not to be like those who are among the first. And one commentator has said, have a mercantile spirit 
in the church, which means they value religion and they value church life and ecclesiastical position and influence and fruits maybe in the, in the community as ends in themselves. The influence we can have, the numbers we can gain, the, the impact we can have, uh, city hall, whatever, and they're missing, they're missing the value of the king himself and the work he calls us to. That's a, what a lot of people do, you know, in the church. They value their religion and as far as it goes and makes them feel good. And maybe in self-examination periods before the Lord's Supper, they examine themselves and say, you know what? I'm doing pretty good and I'm better than the other person and I've advanced even though I've got lots of sin and inconsistencies, that's all right. God's going to accept me by grace and they miss and we can miss often. The value of being a Christian, which is to value God. To value the cross. To value the Messiah. It's like a, a person who has a piece of art, a rare piece of art. And he likes that piece of art because there's a price tag on it, and the auctioneers have said, you can get $18 million for this painting. And he doesn't appreciate the art at all. So we can appreciate all of the things of theology and, and, our, and our Reformed faith and so on, I suppose, without appreciating the Redeemer. In all of our working and all of our being religious is, is worthless. In fact, with the mercantile spirit, we, we haggle with God from the beginning. This is the Pharisees, those called at the first, a representative of, of every Pharisee who, who has to agree with the landowner and get out of him the best wage that they can Notice the others don't. They just go and they say whatever's right. He says whatever's right, and they, they agree to that. They don't know what they're going to get. But the first have to know, what is in this? What's the value of this labor in this man's, this landowner's kingdom, in this God's kingdom, for this Christ of whom I've heard? What is in this for me? Going back to Peter. On the behalf of the disciples, says, we've left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? What's in it for us? Jesus is bringing this good sermon with this hard message to go right between the eyes of self-seekers. So don't be like those who are first, who have the mercantile spirit, who value their religion for what it gets them, not for the God they confess and labor for, or outwardly anyway. And then don't fail to recognize that God has the sovereign right to do with whatever he wants, with whatever he has and as he will. It's understanding that's necessary at this point, you know, beloved. Jesus, or, or the landowner, <clears throat> rebukes 
the people and, and says, don't you know that I'm going to give you what's right? I'm, I'm doing you no wrong. And uh, Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? And so the people who are hearing this parable should understand this. But do you know what? We have Romans 9 to help us to understand this parable and this sovereignty of God and all of the other scriptures that, that teach us God is God. And here in this parable, it's brought out. And in the epistles of Paul, it would be brought out. God is the potter. We are the clay. He makes one vessel unto wrath, another unto to righteousness, and so on, and unto glory, as he wills. And who are we to reply against God? These are the scoffers here who reply against the rights of God, the grace of God, and the fact that God doesn't do things the way they want him to do. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's a warning, you see. The good sermon brings the warning. Don't, don't complain. Don't say, I'm only going to do this if I agree with God. Try worshiping God first. Whereas the form for the supper says, abhorring yourself. Oh, that's not liked, that language. Abhor yourself. Which means simply... Hate your sin. That's all it means. It's not about low self-esteem. It's low sin esteem. We don't esteem sin. Don't you hate sin? Your own, first of all. And love God and his grace. And then don't envy, of course, those who are blessed of God but haven't worked as hard as you. They haven't deserved the reward that you think you earn. This whole parable, in fact, draws, calls to mind immediately an Old Testament prophet. You know who that was? I'm thinking of Jonah. Remember he was called to labor in Nineveh, among the Assyrians, the inveterate enemies of, of God's people. And go to Nineveh, Jonah said no. And then, of course, what happens is he ends up in the belly of the whale, Rebuked of God, chastised of God, thrown overboard. And what does he discover in the belly of the whale? Salvation is of the Lord, Jonah 2. Salvation is of the Lord. It's of God's prerogative to save whom he will. It's all of grace. Then he goes to Nineveh, and he can't stand it. He goes there, but he goes. When he gets there, he's just grumpy. God is going to announce that Nineveh is going to be destroyed if it doesn't repent. The God whom I know is rich in mercy is going to show some mercy to Ninevites and show them that they must repent and believe on the Lord. I can't stand that. They're not laborers in the vineyard. Or they're going to be called and they're saved by the skin of their teeth. How can it be? You see, it's it's the way we act with all the kinds of people who are less than us. Isn't that the truth? Lesser people, lesser churches, lesser dads, lesser moms are better than you, better than that person. And I'm not addicted. God's going to call somebody who's addicted to drugs all their life and they still struggle with it. When they're called as Christians, how can that be? 
God's going to call the ones who've wasted their youth and now in their old age can only give their weakness to the kingdom of God. They're, they're not good workers. God's going to call tax collectors and prostitutes. Here's our word. We sound like little kids. It's not fair. Jesus, it's not fair. Don't you hear that all over the place today? It's not fair. This is, in fact, the scandal of the Old Testament, or excuse me, the New Testament theology. But if you want to really know the scandal, the scandal is not that the last will be first and the first are last. The scandal is that Jesus Christ, who is the first and the last, everything that God has to say, the apple of the eye of God, the son of sons, the great word of God by whom and for whom the worlds were made and who is obedient to the death of the cross, that one, the first and the last, becomes, as it were, the last that we might be taken into the kingdom. He becomes a nothing. He becomes worse than nothing, a sinner for our sake. This is what the supper is all about. This is what we're all about. It's Jesus. And the laborers in his vineyard have to have the eye on Jesus, and you have the eye on Jesus. And when you have that eye on Jesus, all work will be glad. And you won't be looking at other people. You'll be looking to the landowner and the steward, the father and the son, in the communion of the Holy Spirit. And you'll be saying, Lord, I don't know why I'm here. I deserve to be last. I'm only a poor servant of yours. But I'm at your beck and call. And I'll do whatever you want. I'll plant. I'll water are pruned, I'll be pruned. I'll be fruitful and productive because grace, I know, doesn't call me to be lazy, calls me to work in thankfulness to God the good works that he has ordained for me to walk in. Now you be that people, beloved, beloved of God, laborers in the vineyard, call the people of God graced, be that, and know the great joy of being in that place of laboring for the kingdom. Jesus is everything. That's enough for me. You too? Amen. Lord God, we pray you would bless us. We hear the word. We pray to hear it again and again. Pray to hear the word of the way that we heard this morning and of grace that we hear tonight. We pray that we may be yours. May we learn the lessons of grace, the lessons of the kingdom, lessons of the cross and resurrection of Jesus and of his coming again. Be with all of us. Give us of your sweet and holy spirit May we go with your blessing and with a resolution in our hearts, in our minds, our lips. We're going to serve you, Lord. We're going to pray. We're going to be yours, consistently yours. No matter when we've been called, Lord, we're called now. And we hear the call.
And we're your servants. Lord, what would you have us to do? Amen.